All right, welcome to another edition of the Hardwood Huddle. My name is Randy Zellia. With me always, the Supreme Leader. He is our Jedi Master. He is Bill Ingram down to Dallas, Texas. And speaking of Dallas, Texas, why not bring in one of the voices of the Dallas Mavericks, Dallas Maverick legend and former New York Nick, Derek Harper, joins the show with us. This Welcome to the Huddle, Derek. And uh, before Thank we you. get going with, with everything, right before we came on, my, my little buddy over here, uh, my my future stepson Mason jumped on and and we start pretty much started the interview before the interview actually started with with us and it's it was really cool so this is the first time for Bill and Derek I apologize for doing this uh, any signs of our professionability um, Bill this I'm sorry for doing it but I guess it's only appropriate since he's the basketball player of the future that Mason comes over and says hello to our audience yeah yeah and that since, sounds since, good since, since you know he is you know the future and, and not only that but. Well, why not? Come on over. We already introduced you, so you have to come over and say hello now. Okay. There, uh, there he is. What's going there he is. On, Mighty Mason. Mighty's Mason. He's going to be What's going up, for Mason? AU this year, so we, we got him. So, Okay, so with that being said, welcome to the Hardwood Huddle. Again, the Jedi Master is with us, as always. Derek Harper, one of the voices for the Dallas Mavericks. And, you know, there's so many different ways to start. Instead of starting from the beginning, let's start the most recent. Derek, you were down with the Mavericks uh, in the bubble, uh, a lot of people don't know what the experience was like. There wasn't as much media down there, and there was a lot of people calling the calling the games from studios, and they were not in it. What was it like being down in Orlando and being in the bubble? Well, first of all, and all due respect, I have to correct you. We did not okay. work from the bubble. Okay, um, we actually worked here in Dallas or oh, okay, you were at Fox Sports. Yeah, we we there were only a certain amount of people that actually took that trip. To go down to Orlando, the three of us, Mark Followell, of course, Jeff Skin, Wade, and myself, we did not did not make that trip. We worked from the studio, which was so, so different. I can't elaborate enough on how different it was to be in studio opposed to being at the game live. It, it took some real – I just followed Mark Followell's lead because he's clearly the pro when it comes to uh, television, and his energy never wavered. And it was a different experience, but a learning experience. Did you have like a big screen TV going with the? Well, there were everybody had a big screen. That we were all we were big screened out. Uh, Mark had his screen. There were uh, big plastic uh, dividers in the studio. We were all in the same room. Um, I sat side by side with Mark Followell. Scan I faced most of the time, but my big screen video. Our screen was in the way of seeing skin on a regular base, but it was fun nevertheless. With the also with the might as well talk about it too. The the Mavericks seem to have uh, matured a little quicker than expected yeah. this year. And one of the things that I found very interesting was the health of Christoph Przingis. Very familiar up here. I'm I'm in the New Jersey New York area, so I'm very familiar with Christoph. Your take as a talent evaluator in this sense, playing that role of a talent evaluator, what did you think for Christoph and Luca together? Is this a one-two punch, or is this something maybe the team should look on possibly moving on from Christoph? Wow, that's uh, that's kind of loaded in, in some unique ways. Oh, I, I, I like throwing I like throwing softball questions to start. I, it's all good. <laughs> I can handle any questions, man. I've, I've, I've got different questions throughout my uh, television career. However, I, when you start talking, KP, first off, I think the kid is a tremendous talent. And yeah. I think the only question that you can put over the top of him is whether or not he can stay healthy and miss some of the playoffs this year. 
for the Mavericks. And I just felt like if he was healthy, the Mavericks had a chance of eliminating the Clippers. In all due respect to Doc Rivers, that's a great dear friend of mine. But um, he and Luca together have the potential to be one of the dynamic duos in the NBA, if you would. Uh, both of them do what the league is all about right now. Both of them can space the floor. Both of them can shoot the basketball, handle the basketball. They have unique skill sets for their size. And I just feel like when you have those three, four things that in today's game, you can really flourish. I always wonder whether or not. I think the fact that Luca was second in the NBA in assists uh, really makes them a good fit. I don't think there is going to be any problems provided KP stays healthy with those guys being the face of the franchise and the NBA for quite some time. That was kind of what I wondered, you know, watching it was when you can get them both healthy for a prolonged period of time together, that's when we're going to really find out what they're going to be. Because it seemed like as soon as KP got healthy, Luca would go down for a few games. Yeah, yeah that's so true. That's well said. Go down. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the playoffs. What my hope is, uh, as someone who spent a lot of time in Toyota Center as well, uh-huh. is Porzingis does not have the same issues that Yao Ming had. That yes. his eyes, yeah. his feet. Yao Ming, a lot of people outside of China, of course, in Houston don't realize this. Yao Ming was a phenomenal player. Yes. Every time it got right where it was time to win, he he got hurt for forever, and we never saw him live up to the potential. I, I would completely concur with you on the, the him not living up, but the few years that we get, did get from Yao Ming, they were certainly sensational in a lot of different ways. Um, injuries are a part of sports. I, I don't care what sport it is, baseball, basketball, football. Guys are always going down, and that's the unfortunate part when a guy doesn't get the opportunity to live out his potential. Um, and we're, we're basing this on KP staying healthy. If he stays healthy, the Mavericks are gonna, gonna reach um, a high level quicker than anybody anticipated. I think they have championship caliber talent on this team. Luca has proven that he's not afraid of the moment. And if you think about championship caliber teams nowadays, They have to have two stars, a lot of them three stars. And then you have to have the ability to score the basketball in today's league because that's what the NBA is all about right now. And I I just feel like Dallas, and uh, we're basing all of this on health, which is a scary, unpredictable situation. That's what we're basing it on. But I, I just think Dallas is right where they need to be. And again, it happened quicker than anybody thought because I don't think anybody realized that Luca was going to be who he's been. He's been sensational. You know, first team All-NBA this year, well-deserved by him. And just being around him on a regular base, it's like ho-hum, a walk in the park. I expect it to be great because he was a pro for a long time overseas. He was. Don't you think another key is with the Mavericks now for the last four or five years – their approach has changed, and I talked to Mark about this yes. during the regular part of the season. Instead mm-hmm. of the constant free agent blitz, it was let's draft some players and actually let Rick and his team and his uh, coaching staff build them up and let them grow together so that you have that continuity that you must have to have postseason success. 
No question. And think about it like this. I mean, there are only a couple of ways that you can build a team. You go through the draft, which you just mentioned first. Or you sign guys as free agents, right? And then you have to make trades. Those are the three ways and the constant of, of, of building a franchise. And you have to figure out, you know, we hadn't been lucky when it comes to draft picks. We've dra- had a lot of picks, but the guys, it hadn't panned out for Dallas when it comes to some of the guys that we had taken. And we haven't, you know, coupled that with not being able to sign free agents during the offseason, at least big name free agents. That kind of stifles your growth when you think about what you're trying to build and what you're trying to be in the NBA. And then came Luca. <laughs> And one <laughs> wonder boy, Luke, <laughs> has been the so saving grace, I think, for, for, the, for our franchise right now. And, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, to me, changed the game. It, Dirk, the reason the game is what it is now is because of Dirk. And I think Luca is going to change the game as well. And when you're able to do that, if you would, that's a clear sign of how great you are as a player. Um, you know, Luca bumps into 28 points. Everybody says, oh, it's a fluke. We're jumping the gun. I was even one of those guys. And I watched this guy in practice a couple of times. And I stopped going to practice because I'm like, shit, this guy's going to be one of the all-time greats. Just mm-hmm. watching how easy the game is for him, his IQ as a player, um, his ability and his size to score against smaller people, get around bigger people makes him one of the top, to me, five players in the NBA. And I know people, you can argue that, argue it all you want. I'll get to watch this guy every single night, and I know for a fact where Luca is going with his career. You know, it's funny, too, we talk about – first off, that was the greatest line ever, by the way. I think that's like a, <laughs> a, that's a movie title name. A boy, a boy named Luca, ladies and gentlemen, coming to a theater near you. Um, <laughs> like, and Dirk came, it was the same, and then came Dirk. And then, yeah, then Dirk. I mean, then, two tremendous I, players, man, like I said, that have transcended the game of basketball. It's funny, too, we talk about the word transcending and the, and the game changing from what it was. Um, Bill and I have argued so, about this point, don't mostly argue, on this. Just debate. Don't, don't no, argue. Just, just no, okay. Well, the thing is, the thing is, though, we're, we're usually on the same side of the argument because yes. I'm a very traditionally – traditional basketball guy where I still believe in a center, a power forward, a small forward, a two guard and a point guard, where if you're having a a scoring center, your rebound, your rebounder is coming from the power forward position and cleaning up the mess from the center. And then your small, your small forward is a slasher, your two guards, a a shooter and your point guard is is the coach on the floor. Okay. Now I'm watching Joel Embiid shoot more threes per game than than majority of the two yes. and, and and we had Larry Brown on with us and we were we were discussing it and Larry is so traditional my lord it was it was driving him crazy um, I, I for, for a guy who was a master at the point guard position of running a team how do you look at the transition that the NBA has made as a whole are you a fan of it or are you not a fan of it what would you try if you were to change anything what would you do with it Well, I I don't think you can argue where the NBA is right now. And the question is always, where are you going to leave the NBA when the veteran guys, the old school guys kind of go out into the wilderness? Where is the league going to be? And I think it's in good hands. And I think, number one, you have to give the late David Stern a lot of credit because he's the one that changed the rules of the game. And I think that's what you have to look at. 
and why the game is a little bit different than it used to be. I used to hand check guys up and down the basketball court. Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason, um, Xavier McDaniels, those guys used to hold, push, Rick Mahorn. Do you remember, I'm sure both of you guys remember what Michael Jordan had to go through getting through the Pistons. Oh my God, yeah. Being physically abused, if you would, because the game was different. Well, how entertaining is that when you start thinking about the game of basketball? Basketball is a free flow game that guys run up and down the, the court. People compare it to ballet in a lot of ways, the way guys move out on the floor. And I, I just think that David saw that if he was going to continue to entertain the, the, the people that sit press row, you know, all of the, the, the people that pay the dollars to come and watch NBA basketball, he was going to have to come up with a way to entertain them in a different way, a little bit better. So he took out the physicality of the game. The game became three-point shooting or getting to the rim. It became an open game, a free-flow um, kind of a game. And that's, that, that's, that's when Dirk and all of the, the big guys that had the ability to put the ball on the floor um, to, to do different things, unique things that we weren't accustomed to bigs doing. And I beg to differ that guys just started doing some of this stuff because Elijah Wan, Patrick Ewing, um, Tim Duncan, you think about all those guys. Those guys were pretty good on the perimeter. I'm not going to say they were stretch fives and stretch fours, but they had unique a unique skill set. Alonzo Mourning could knock down a 15 to 18-foot jump shot, if you would. David Robinson would, would, would take those shots also. So, you know, the game changed back then with David Stern changing the rules to, uh, to no hand-checking, allowing guys to get to where they want to get as players. And here we go. We have a different NBA. Uh, the Houston Rockets don't believe in two-point baskets. Uh, or I'm sorry, in between shots, if you would. They want a three or they want to get all the way to the rim. Whether or not that, that works and makes you successful consistently, I, I think a lot of people could argue that. But all in all, you think about Dame Lillard. You think about um, the, the Jason guys in, in Boston. You think about... You know, Kawhi, Paul George, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, all those guys can do a lot of different things. And to me, that's what makes the game so exciting and, and so fun to watch. And I, I'm going to say this. There's, the, the NBA is a copycat league. I think we'll all agree with that, that one team had success doing things one way and everybody tries to do it. Hell, for crying out loud, the Warriors win a couple of championships and then everybody wants to model that. Yep. Well, first of all, you have to have that kind of personnel, that kind of talent. <laughs> there, there, is no, yeah. there is nobody that can do what those guys do the way they do it. So you look at a team like the Wizards, John Wall, Bradley Bill. They tried to be just like the Warriors. I know Eddie Tapscott. I know Ernie Grunfield extremely well. And those guys literally said that we want to play fast. We want to push it up. We want to take the first open three that we can. Well, you better damn make sure you have that kind of personnel. Otherwise, you're going to be like the Houston Rockets, a team that can get there. And during the regular season, they look like world beaters. You know, Harden scoring 30-plus points, things of that nature. You get Russell Westbrook, and he's another guy that likes to play open, free, and up and down the court. you got to make sure you have the right personnel in place, and not everybody does. That's why there are only a few teams. And you talked about traditional basketball. How about the Lakers as far as traditional basketball is concerned? And they were the team that was crowned 
champions this, this year, having a presence on the inside and Anthony Davis that no other team in the bubble could tend with. And that's why they were, were the best team. I've made the argument for, let's see, how long was there? You know, Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey. Yeah. yeah, he just stepped down. Uh, I have made the argument for the entirety of his career. I get the money ball thing. I understand it, and and I get there's been some success. Harden went from nobody talked about him in Oklahoma City to an MVP, though he never really played much defense, uh, certainly until the last couple of years. But I've made the argument that you have to have a special combination of front office coaching and players to reinvest. And I didn't. I thought something was missing from that in Houston uh, because I had many conversations with Daryl. And when Sam Hinkie used to be there, I yes. would I would fill his ear. Daryl be up. You tell Sam go talk to your friend. Bill. Bill, Bill was making executive decisions there. I don't know if you knew some of the moves that have been going on. That that, that, that that Steve that Steve Francis McGrady move that was all Bill. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> Well, I, in all fairness to Bill, I'll say this. I think the one thing that, that Houston missed in this bubble was having a fucking guy like Capella. That would have given them a chance. If exactly. Capella, I forget who they made that trade for. Well, it was Covington, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. If they had Capella in the lineup, who I really liked as a player, he gave the Mavericks a lot of problems. Pick and roll hard to the basket. A presence as a, a as a guy that can police the paint defensively, um, you know. I, I just don't think you can you can move away from that totally. Surely, you know everybody wants to play fast. Everybody wants guys that can shoot the basketball, work off the bounce, things of that nature. But I'm just an old school guy, and I think there's a huge value that's being disrespected in a lot of ways when it comes to having that big that has just enough skill set that he can play with a guy like Harden, a guy like Russell Westbrook. I think Houston was better, plain and simple, and would have given the Lakers more of a challenge had they had a guy like Capella this past, uh, this past to, to close out this little unique bubble situation down in Orlando. They were away from the NBA Finals. You know, they were right there. Say that again. I'm sorry, Bill. They ran away from the NBA Finals a couple of years ago. Absolutely. Playing. Yeah, nope. and, and, and people are quick to change, though. If you don't win it, then people feel like it was a bust season. And I, I just think people don't realize, and I know Maury probably knows numbers a whole lot better than I do. I know he does. And that's what the league is going to. And let me be the first to say I respect that because when you think about it, there's there's a little something to that. Also, you have to respect chemistry. And, and, and what it is. And I, I believe in the eye test as well. And I thought when you looked at the Rockets, just like you just said, Bill, they, they were in the finals. They, the, the Warriors, who was crowned champions, was the only uh, nemesis for them. I mean, they beat them every single time, had their number kind of in a lot of ways. And I, I just didn't, I didn't like that trade when it happened with Capella because I thought Capella added a very yeah. unique thing to the Rockets. And if they had gotten Andre Drummond, yes, that made that move would have made sense. Yeah, I don't help know if they didn't end up getting Drummond. I don't know if that was real, if that yes. was, you know, because the trade rumors, 
Yeah, you never know. You never know. Well, I had heard that was supposed to be Tristan Thompson coming over the Rockets, and that's why Cleveland made the trade for Drummond. And they were Thompson was supposed to go to the the Cavaliers, but the deal fell apart last second, and yeah, so then yeah. they were then they were stuck playing small ball. Um, Tristan would have been. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. he would have been. He would have helped the the circumstances. Playing oh, definitely. Definitely, because it would have been had a big body against Anthony Davis. Yeah. And once you start bodying up against Davis a little bit, Davis is not as physical as you want a big man to be. So as soon as someone gets physical with him, he's got the mentality that he's going to start backing off yeah. because he doesn't want to start doing what, that. He makes up for not being physical with his skills. So, I mean, oh, that, my that God. Guy, he is so skilled well, as a big. I don't know. If, I'm sure you guys realize that you guys are basketball, uh, basketball wizards. He played guard in high school in Chicago, played a lot mm -hmm. of guard. And I think that's why you see some of the stuff he's able to do out on the floor. It, it, it doesn't look like that traditional big that we're accustomed to. But I think the Lakers, and I'm sad to say because we're in the Western Conference, just like Houston, I think the Lakers are going to be good for a long time, man. I really do because you can surround those two guys. I mean, I, I thought LeBron was starting to show signs of aging. And under this unprecedented situation uh, called the bubble, <laughs> Anthony Davis uh, teamed up with LeBron, made LeBron look like he can play another five years at a very high level. That's you know, with you when your star players get older, you have to uh, yes, them. That's and that's where I thought Anthony Davis, especially with his skill set. Mm -hmm. um, now imagine if they add, you know, the trade rumors again, things will happen. Imagine if they added a Victor Oladipo or a Bradley Beal or, uh, you know, somebody that's a more consistent shooter. Than sure. And and I feel like they have to do that because the Warriors coming back healthy, they're going to be just the Perry's well, that, That's why, I, yeah, the league, that's why I say the league is in such good, such a good place because, I mean, you, you said the Warriors, they are certainly going to be there. You can't count out Portland. They had a lot yeah. of injuries as yeah. a team. Yeah, we look said what that. Denver did look what Utah did. The Mavericks took without KP took the Clippers to what six games. Then you 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 go to the Clippers, a team that underachieved. Uh, they fired oh, Doc because they didn't reach their potential, but they still have two All-Star caliber players there and a lot of talent on that basketball team, provided they keep it together. And the Western Conference to to get the A spot is nothing to be. Embarrassed, embarrassed about the Phoenix Suns is an up and coming basketball team. They won every game that they played in the bubble, and will have a chance to uh, to show that 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 wasn't a fluke. I love Monty Williams as a coach. And Don't forget he about his, he gets his guys to buy into what he's doing to their scheme. They play small ball, but they play it very well. And Devin Booker, to me, is a star on the rise. So the West is going to be. A handful, man, a lot to deal with. And they don't forget it. And don't, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Bill. They've also got Aiton when you talk about having to match yeah. up with Anthony Davis. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, he, he's tough. You know. He's tough. And you left and you left somebody out. You think Pop is going to take sitting out of the playoffs when you're sitting no, down? He's not. Exactly <laughs> right. No, he is. I mean, they're the model. They're the model yeah. for success, man. I mean, those guys had won five championships over the last, what, 10, 15 years. Because they, they, they get lucky. They they have a system in place. Uh, R.C. Buford, all those guys pop. I mean, you got to respect what they do, and they'll be back. Oh, There's yeah. No question about it. And then there, uh, Stan Van Gundy just took the job in New Orleans. Which I think is a great hire. 
which I is a great hire. too, because Stan yeah. is a no-nonsense guy, but he's still a player's coach at the same time, if that's possible. But I love Stan Van Gundy. I love the Van Gundy guys. I played for Jeff Van Gundy when I was in New York and just a, a big fan of Jeff's. I hope he takes that Houston job. He might hire me. I'd like to get him coaching, <laughs> believe it or not, at some point. Oh, I, but, uh, I, 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 don't agree. I don't disagree with that. And for the simple fact is, I usually the point guards make some of the best coaches. Because and, and, I, and I'm not and I'm and I'm and I'm not saying that just to, to blow smoke. I'm saying that's for, for the, the realistic because again we talked about right in the opening of the show the point guard is the coach on the floor. So absolutely. everything everything that's going on it goes to the now again today's NBA game that's sort of gone away a little bit. But you look over the last twenty years at some of the great point guards like John Stockton, Jason yes. Kidd. You know, yes. you can you can look at Steve Nash. Those guys yes. were and congratulations were, to Steve. He caught a lot of flack for somebody giving him a head coaching job because yeah. he hadn't paid dues. I mean, what the heck is that about? But, I mean, dudes. but, but yeah, well, but, but, <laughs> but well, he should have turned that job down. That's what Steve should have done. Well, but again, but that goes back to also. I think the the reason why is this is the second time the Nets did something like that. Yeah. The first yeah. time they did that with with Jason, but the yeah. problem is Steve's been out of the league for four years this time. Yeah. Jason retired and is now coaching guys who he went to war against. Yes, and yes, that's absolutely. A, it's, it's a different and, psychology. And, and I, I want to respect coaching to the fullest, but uh, who are some of the great all-time coaches? Pat Riley, Phil Jackson. Uh, then it goes back, Pop, no question. It goes back to who those coaches have coached, right? I, you, The three of us can, can coach if we get the right situation, right? I mean, I wish I was Steve Nash right off the bat when you start talking about coaching because he's going to coach Hall of Fame type players. Phil Jackson, coach Hall of Fame players. Uh, Chuck Daly, Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars. Um, we know Chicago. We know, you know, you, Boston, three Hall of Fame players. It's not a coincidence that if you have the talent, and you're just smart enough, just smart enough not to screw it up, that you can be successful as a coach. And that's not to undermine coaching at all. I think Rick Carlisle is a fabulous coach. And I, the reason why I think Rick is so good, because he's one of the few coaches to me that can take less and get more out of it than mm -hmm. the average coach. And that's what I, I, I call a great coach. Coaching, I'm not saying that it's easy, but a lot of times if you have the talent you know, there's a reason why Steve Kerr took over from Mark Jackson and just fit right in with, with, with those guys and had the kind of success that he had right away because he had the talent to do so. And I don't care who you are as a coach, you still need players to uh, to be successful. When I talk about Rick Carlisle, I think about a conversation I had with Matrix when he first came to yes, Dallas. Sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, he said, he told me about this. He said, um, Rick sat him down and said, you're a post player now. And let me show you how to play in the post. You're going to score in the post. Uh -huh. Sean said, no, coach, I'm running gun, three-point shooter. <laughs> right, right. No, you were. When you were younger, you were a running gun, three-point. Yes. But that's not what you are anymore. Now, if you want to stay in the league a few years, you're a yes. yes. And we watched him transform. And I mean, full credit to Sean for doing that. Uh -huh. But watch Carlisle and Matrix together transform his game to make him an championship. I was just going to say they won a championship together, Bill. So that that speaks volume. Yeah, no, I can talk to what you're talking about it real quick. I don't want to.
talk too doggone much. I like talking basketball, obviously. But a quick story that I experienced when I was in New York, Pat Riley decided to hang things up, okay? He left. Don Nelson came in. First thing he said to me, same thing that you are just talking about. I was accustomed to having the basketball all of my life. I'd never been without the ball. Nelly says, we're going to do Point Mace, uh, the late Anthony Mason. We were gonna. He did it with the with uh, Milwaukee. Paul Pressey yep. did it uh, in Golden State, where he had the the three or or the 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 three was the point guard uh, when he was with the Warriors. Billy Owens played a lot of point guard and initiated mm-hmm. a lot of the offense when he was with the Warriors. That wasn't it for the past. He was losing his mind. I, I I thought I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not gonna have the ball. What he says? No, Harper. I want. I see you more in my system as a spot up shooter. And Lord and behold, man, my first five, six games, I think I averaged 20 points a game, took a bunch of shots, whatever I wanted to. I was standing in the corner watching Patrick get double teamed, Charles Smith get double teamed. And I was in a lot of catch and shoot situations and it it all worked out. And that's when you know that you're playing for a coach that understands not only players and personnel, but understands his system and how you best fit in that system. And Rick certainly has that. We were talking about he and Sean Marion. And um, to your point, Bill, Sean probably did play a little bit longer than he would have trying to play that open system that he was so accustomed to playing in. So now bring that conversation home before we, I don't want to get too far removed from what you said about Ben Gundy potentially going back to Houston and potentially bringing you in to join his staff. Something that I think the Rockets lack, and I'll tell you why they lack it. Because when they met with Chris Bosch, uh, I was in Houston and I sat down with uh, with Sam right after they had met with Chris Bosch. And I said, I said, Sam, who was at the meeting? Oh, it was me and Daryl. I said, Chris isn't coming here. I said, What are you talking about? Said, Next stop's Miami. I guarantee you, it's well, first of all, it's Pat Riley, and then it's going to be Alonzo Morning. I said, You're telling me. Clyde Drexler lives 15 minutes from this arena. Yes, sir. <laughs> you 15 minutes over in Sugarland, not yes. from this arena. And you're telling me you didn't seriously? When you want a free agent, a big name free agent that everybody's after to sign, you have to yeah. sell them on the culture, the yes. championship culture, yeah. and Elijah Wan. And he'll come if you call him. He- oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I know both those guys well. I know it came really well. I've been to his house a few times. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just amazing for me growing up in Houston, idolizing the guy. Hakeem, Hakeem actually has some pictures of Bill hanging up at the house. My point being, if you get, uh, there's my daughter here. Come here, Riley. You can say, uh, it's here, <laughs> since we're having. Hey. All- Oh, you, right? <laughs> She's there every night anymore. Hey, it, it's kids' day, and all my kids are grown, man. They're all <laughs> gone out of the house and living their best lives, man. So, I kudos to you guys for for having them. Enjoy them while you can is what I'll say because they grow up so fast. And oh, I guarantee yeah. you. And I, Ryan, I don't don't listen to me, Ryan, but. In about 10 years, she's not going to give you that same hug. That hug is going <laughs> to I guarantee you that. I don't know she might. But my point, my point being that uh, 
I think with Jeff Van Gundy, you've got a guy, you can show the video of him hanging to Patrick's leg, trying to keep him from getting suspended. Yeah. Yeah. You can come in as a championship winner that players are going to know from you being on the sidelines if they didn't watch you play. And that is something that the Rockets, in my opinion, aside from a center, which surely they're going to address over the offseason, uh, that's something missing from their culture. And someone like yeah. you will see that to blow smoke up your butt yeah, or whatever. You, I, I like to think that I can add something. And, you know, I've been doing TV, man, for 20-plus years now. Time flies when you're enjoying something. I'm undefeated, too, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just feel like the more I watch the game, I'm around it. I'm around the team. I'm, I know the heartbeat. And I just feel like I'm doing myself and, and kids and this, this new generation a disservice by not giving them something, giving something back. I um, can't tell you guys how much players come up and ask me questions about this and about that. And they talk about how the game used to be opposed to how the game is now. And the more I'm around that and the more that I hear all of that stuff, the more I think that that that's the road that I want to go down, provided the right opportunity comes along. Um, you know, coaching has changed. It, it has changed with the numbers and, and, and all of that, but it's still pretty fundamentally sound, man. It's still triple threat. It's still being able to catch and pass and shoot the basketball and, and, and just simple basic things that I think I could add and make a difference for an organization or for a team. So hopefully the opportunity will present itself. Players that has a rule named after you. <laughs> Say that again. Yeah, they don't. I, they don't. And I'm not going to waste a lot of time trying to explain it. You know, it, <laughs> no. it, it is what it is. Like I said earlier, it, it, it was a different time then. You got away with more back then. I mean, watching the one thing, and plus we were in a pandemic, the one thing that I enjoyed the most about the last dance was how hard it freaking was for Michael Jordan to get through the playoffs. People think Michael yeah. Jordan, they think, oh, he had a breeze through the through his mm. career. It was so easy for him. Man, no, he did If you go, you saw him talking about how hard that thing was. And he has enemies from the Pistons to this day because <laughs> it was so doggone difficult for him to get through that, man. And, you know, that, that, that just point, it just really proves my point that the league has changed you know, like I, I watch games now with Mark and with Skin, and you know they they yell, "That's a flagrant," and I'm looking like a flagrant. <laughs> like you don't know what a freaking flagrant. <laughs> that, that's a that was a foul back in '94. <laughs> what are you talking? <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding? Me? Are you gonna call that a flagrant foul? No, I don't think so, man. You just it's opened just up. Change. A it's different. You gotta you gotta you gotta change with the time. I guess. You just opened up a whole line of questioning for me, by the way. Um, you, you know, you came to the Knicks in 93. I'm going to transition to the Knicks for a minute. Yeah, you, can, right. you, you, you came to the Knicks back in 93, 94, obviously went to the NBA Finals. I'm not going to discuss too hard about what happened in Houston, obviously with the hard seven-game series. Yes. Um, what, was, what was it like for you, knowing that Dallas was struggling for a lot of those years, to, to go to New York and almost have a second career and lead that team because you were the point guard for that for that championship run, championship run. Before we go to the finals, obviously there was a little stop with the with the Chicago Bulls without Michael. 
but still with Scotty and the pedigree of that team with Horace. What was it like to help get that, uh, that Knicks team over that hump with Chicago, even though there was no Michael? What was that situation was for, what was like for John and Patrick and those guys being able to get over that hump? Well, we didn't get over the hump. We came in second in the finals. However, yeah. your, your question is, is, is well-received. Um, I'm getting goosebumps now because every time I think about having an opportunity to win a championship and being in position to do so, you had to go through the Chicago Bulls, right? Yeah. Michael or no Michael. And, and getting through them was a relief, number one. And then you got Reggie Miller waiting on you. That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, with, with, with the Pacers. Um, but, I mean, playing in Madison Square Garden with the Knicks, Walt Frazier was my favorite player growing up as a kid. I mean, Clyde, there was nobody cooler. And when they start talking about all-time great guards, you never hear his name. Why is beyond me? Because Clyde was simply great. When I tell you this guy could, could get it done, on both sides of the ball, he could get it done. He was really good. But just being, you know, as what both of you guys know, being in New York playing, it's a different kind of pressure. And when I initially got to New York, I felt that pressure because I struggled the first eight to ten games. I had a hard time adjusting. You come from a team, and I love Dallas. Dallas is my base. It will always be. Um, you come from a team that was fighting to keep from being the worst team in NBA history. You go to a team like New York that has that's number one in the East, and that's exactly what they were. A quick little little uh, story here when how different things were. I'll never forget my second third practice at SUNY Purchase in uh, up in Westchester, New York. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget there was a loose ball on the floor, and I bent. I was kind of bent over, reaching for that loose ball. And here comes Mace, here comes John, here comes Oak. They ran through my legs, through my body to get that loose ball. And that was the difference. I came from a losing situation, went straight to a winning situation, and I, it woke me up, man. I had to wake up real quick and realize that, number one, I wasn't in the right condition. I, I wasn't conditioned. To, to be on a championship-caliber team like the Knicks. So it was a struggle for me early on. But once I got it, man, it was like a dream come true. Once things came together for me, Jeff Van Gundy, I give a lot of credit for because this guy was, a you know, they have ball machines now. Jeff used to be a ball machine when he was an assistant coach for the Knicks because he would run down any shot that you shot, that you took and missed, and get that ball right back to you on time, on target, and they things were just different, man. I mean, it, it, playing in the mecca of, of, of basketball, which is what New York is known for, creates a different kind of atmosphere, a different kind of pressure. And that experience, it's hard to put into words. You have to experience it for yourself to know what, what it was really like. But it was, a, it was a challenge, but a challenge that anybody in their right mind would have welcomed and tried to take advantage of as far as trying to win a championship in New York. I'd still be there, hell, if we had beat the Rockets. I'd be living in New York, as expensive <laughs> as it is to, to live. Well, I, I have to ask about the conference finals. Um, you were on the floor for the Spike Lee game. Yep. Uh, I, 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 we, you know, we had Larry Brown on. I, I asked him about it. I have to ask you about it. As, as, a, as a, a member of the Knicks, 
watching this whole thing unfold with Reggie scoring 20 something points in the fourth quarter. What, what was it? What was going through your mind and what did you see on the court at that point in time? Man, I got hurt and I, I uh, somebody set up back. One of the Davis guys, I think set a back screen on me and I had whiplash in my neck. So I had to go to the locker room and just, and too much, there was too much discomfort to come out of the locker room. So I missed all of that. When I came back to the bench, I never got back in the game, but all of those things had taken place. And I knew nothing about it. I'm just like, what on earth happened? You know, like what, what, where, <laughs> how did all of this happen? And then when I saw it, I mean, clearly those were some of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest ex exhibition of, of scoring a basketball in that period of time in the history of the NBA. And, you know, I, I always felt like I love Spike. That's my guy. <laughs> but I, I hope the kids aren't around. But sit your, you know what, down. <laughs> you know, we, we, there's enough. There, we have enough problems. We don't need you trying to heckle a guy like Reggie, who was one of the known killers in the '90s. Man, a guy that would just—I mean, literally shave your head off to uh, to win a doggone basketball game. I, I mean, all you're doing is, you know, like dropping pouring kerosene or gasoline on a doggone fire. And we were very fortunate to get to that that get through that series that particular year. And well, you can't blame Spike totally because you know the guy made plays. That's what that's what the the playoffs and the uh, conference and finals is all about. Conference finals and and NBA finals is all about. Did, did you up. did you? I don't know if you saw the the special Reggie Miller versus New York Knicks on uh, on uh, ESPN, but he told the story about uh, on how. <laughs> When, when when John when John got tossed from the game and uh, the next day Patrick's uh, Patrick's Ewing's was talking with John Stark's mom said don't you ever touch my son again Reggie goes <laughs> Reggie goes if I would have known that story I don't know if I ever would have gotten that far but I definitely yeah. would have heckled him about it a little bit yeah no those were good times man those bring back some of my greatest basketball memories man I, I won a championship in high school high school All American not bragging but just trying to make a point. Um, and I had great memories. I remember being an underdog team in high school and going to the state in, in Florida and Lakeland, winning the championship. Nothing felt quite like that. But playing in Madison Square Garden, having an opportunity to be crowned champion, if you got through the Pacers and you got through the Rockets, those are literally my best basketball moments as a professional basketball player. And, and in your mind, too, you know, you, you you referenced the last dance before. And yes. uh, when Michael came back, you got to play against him. You were in the Knicks, and he, he was he was back. <laughs> Not even just the double nickel, but just watching that whole experience yeah. of watching him come back. Have you ever seen anything like that before? Someone step away at the, at the peak of their game and then come back and be just as good as you as no, I mean, that's why when people start talking about the GOAT and all of that stuff, Michael Jordan is the GOAT if there's a such thing. I mean, I don't I don't believe in that because I think the one thing that we all do that, that that's not fair to anybody that's ever played the game is we're always trying to say who's the greatest of all time. Think about Wilt Chamberlain, 50 points, 100, 100 points, 50 rebounds in a game. If that's not the greatest performance ever in the history of basketball, what is, right? You think about Magic Johnson, a, a complete winner as a player. People, I think, underrate Larry Bird and his greatness. Uh, um, did it mm -hmm. his way, kind of like Frank Sinatra, if you would. But I don't think you can crown 
the GOAT, so to speak, but that performance, was, it sticks out to me. You know, I wasn't at the game when Wilt had that 100. I didn't see all of Larry's heroics because I played against Larry and in, in his era. But I was at the arena. I was at Madison Square Garden when Mike got that double nickel. <laughs> and, man, I, it, I was blown away. I was flabbergasted. I actually was, unfortunately, had I held Michael to two uh, about, uh, I think I held him to maybe about 18 that, that particular game. I, I was on him a little bit <laughs> here and there, and he was looking at me like, Harp, you can forget it. You know, like, <laughs> you're a pretty good defender. He said, well, man, I'm so hot right now. There's nothing you can do. And I just remember him, man, putting on that show. And it's something about, you know, there's arrogant and then there's cocky, right? There's cocky confidence. And to me, Michael always had the swag of cocky, confident, not not arrogant, but just that, yeah, I'm bad, you know, and, and you can't do anything about it. And he had that walk and he talked that talk that particular night, man. And it just, you know, I, I kept telling John, man, take take BJ, let me guard him because I can't I couldn't do any worse. When, when I think about what was going on that particular night, I, I could have I felt like I everybody should have had a chance to try to slow him down that night. And it was just a sensational performance. And I, I, I watched that game sometime, and I listened to Marv Albert. And, you know, nobody calls a game like the great Marv Albert does. Michael Jordan. Jordan. I mean, that's <laughs> the, that's yes. The, yes, and the foul, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. It was golden, man. I'm telling you. It was absolutely golden watching that stuff for a second time. I mean, those guys, I mean, that guy was just sensational as a player. And if I had to pick a GOAT, you know, playing in that era, Michael Jordan was the GOAT as far as I'm concerned. It seems like we were having this conversation, Randy and I, before the show started, uh, because we have a colleague who likes to have this conversation all the time, that yes. LeBron is the greatest player of all time. And I, 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 I just said this, Randy, what you just said. You can pick probably a dozen guys and say yeah. the greatest player, and you can argue that you like someone else better. Yes. Make an argument Magic Johnson wasn't, you know, you can't the Kareem a complete winner, complete winner. You can't say, uh, of course, Jordan, LeBron. Uh, Bill, we it, we would take all day if we named yeah. all the guys. It, it would take too long. I mean, Russell West even say Kobe. I didn't. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way you can pick the even top fifty when they did yeah. that. It was like, well, so wait a minute. <laughs> no, you know, you can't. You can't but. Basket the players that are playing and enjoy it and not try to categorize. Yeah. And and the reason why I say Michael, Bill, is because I played in his era. I played more against Michael and Magic. So I know I had to play against Magic every single night. I used to beg Magic not to go down to the block and post me up. (laughs) It's like, man, be a guard. You know, what are you doing? Why are you coming down here? And, and, and Magic, such a nice guy, you know, on, on game day, he and Mark Aguirre were really close. We all had the same agent, George Andrews, right? And when we get into L.A., Magic was, would sit a car to pick us up and have a big, nice barbecue spread and all that kind of stuff. So, shit, I stopped going. I said, man, I, I'll never forget telling Mark when we were getting ready, to, they were getting ready to go over. I said, man, I'm not going over there anymore. I said, shit, I got to guard this dude 
for 48 <laughs> minutes, man, six times a year. I need some kind of an edge where I don't have to go and play with those, where I don't have to go, that you're going to take my edge away. Or, or a raise. <laughs> or, yeah, just taking me over to this. Yeah, exactly. Taking me to this guy's house for a barbecue. So talking about greatness, those guys were great. And I saw those guys on a regular base. So that's why I lean towards those guys. Larry Bird. I mean, I, Larry used to have guys meet him at a spot and shoot threes in their face, you know, like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. And when you start, I, it, it baffles me that people start talking about the greatest of all time. Surely his career was cut short because of injuries and back problems and things of that nature. But for the time that Larry Bird did it, he did it, okay? Mm-hmm. He did it like no other. I mean, Larry could, you know, I, I, when I think about Larry Bird and his greatness, it, it wasn't even in a game. It was at the three-point contest where the guy just threw up a shot, a three, and raised his fingers, his hand for the, for the check. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that if that's not greatness, then there's no greatness. So it's hard to pick the GOAT. But to me, Michael Jordan would have to, if there's a such thing, he would have to be that guy. And then I have to ask you, because, you know, obviously you've been around Dirk Nowitzki for majority of his career, and we and the international flavor of the NBA has certainly risen. Uh, I know Sarnas Marshallonis was the first one here, but I yep. think Drazen Petrovic opened up the doors. Yes. Um, you got to play against Drazen. I grew up a New Jersey Net fan. I was 13 years old. I got to meet Drazen and won a contest through the Nets to, uh, to do shoot-around with him. Um, my, my favorite player growing up, I tell him all the time about Drazen and how he was the best. Petro uh, was tough. Petro was tough. What was, what was it like playing against him? Just from this perspective, I, I got to know. You know, he was just tough, tough-minded. Very rarely do you find a guy that is a specialist. And when I think Dragan Petro, Petrovic, that's what I think. He, You know, there are some guys, man, that can flat score the basketball. There are some guys that can flat shoot the basketball. This guy had a unique combination of both, and that's what made him so sensational. And then you add a weird toughness. You know, he, he, he had a weird toughness where he had that little baby face, but <laughs> he, he was a killer, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry to say that, but he was, trying to, he was trying to really put it on you as a player, man. This guy was so tough. And didn't never waver. I don't care who he played against. It's all he's all he reminds me of Luka Doncic in a lot of ways. He reminds me of Luka from the standpoint of I think he had already done imagery. He's already experienced shooting the basketball in the NBA and dominating the NBA in his own little way before he actually got to the M- NBA. Because that's the way he approached the game. He, he reproached, approached the game in a very serious manner. And with all that he had, he, he came out there and, you know, he, he, made you, he made you work every single night on both sides of the ball. Hey, Derek, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining oh, us man. today. Fun. I know, and uh, you know, hopefully we can have you back on. And you know, as as we go on, I just heard today that they're they're meeting today about the season starting around Christmas. Yes, so it'll be and it'll be nice to uh, to get things rolling, especially about holiday times. But this was a lot of fun. Someone that you Thank know, you. Bill, Bill, and I were both making the list of people we love to have on the show. We we called, That's we had, nice. we, and we really we, you guys had my boy on too, had Rolando Blackman on, and Bill, you know, yeah. The one thing I will say, and I've said this a million times, Rolando Blackwood against the Houston Rockets, he was a Rocket. 
assassin. He, he, <laughs> he had a lot of success against the Houston Rockets. And I think Roe, who was my backcourt mate for eight years here in Dallas, deserved a chance to play in that 94 finals. I, I think he I, made a difference. I agree with you 110%. I'm not questioning Coach Rowley. That's a dear friend, somebody that I respect and love a great deal. But I, I, I often wonder what that series would have looked like if Roe had gotten his chance uh, against the uh, the Rockets in 1994 in the finals. So I, I enjoyed this. Call me anytime. I'm, I'm down for it. I love talking hoops, man. I'll just, take care of those wonderful kids that you guys have, man. Eric, one thing that, that I've I talked to people when I was a kid growing up in Houston, diehard Rockets fan. Yes, sir. A friend who was a Mavs fan, and we'd get together when the games were on, screaming at each other. You know, <laughs> right? Akeem, Akeem would dominate, except when Tarpley was in his. No, Akeem dominated, and Tarp was good. <laughs> that's my guy. We never know what Tarp would have been, but man, the dream—that's yeah. another guy that people have forgotten how great that guy was. But now that uh, now that everybody's many years later, uh, you know, the respect I've. I've developed for not just you, but I've gotten to know Roe really well. Yes, sir. Uh, all, all that old stuff kind of goes away, and you're like, man, that, you know, you have a different appreciation for players. Well, thank you. Side of the of the perspective of covering the game than you do as a fan. It, some of those uh, yes, old sir. lines go away. So I, I appreciate you coming on, and it was great anytime. talking with you. And and uh, who knows what we're going to see when the season starts? But maybe I'll see you down at the arena if we're. I hope so. Who knows what what's going to happen? But uh, and, and once and once we uh, once we lift this travel ban up and we can start getting back to normal, I, Bill knows I'm somehow going to make a trip down to Dallas at some point. Yeah. And once good. we come on, man. And once we and once we and once we do, listen, dinner's on Bill. So. <laughs> <laughs> you beat him to it, you know, real quick. Dale Ellis is a good friend of mine. You know, every time you go to dinner, you're fighting over the check. And he taught me how to just say, the minute somebody says, I got it, just say, okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> just say, okay, you got it then. Okay. You know? So it, this was a pleasure, man. I totally enjoyed it. No, thanks, Derek. We appreciate it. All and right. guys, thanks, thanks for tuning in to the Hardwood Huddle. That's Bill Ingram at The Rocket Guy. I'm Randy BSP on Instagram and Twitter. Derek, are you on social media? Yeah, but I don't tweet. I don't. I'm too old <laughs> to do all that stuff. Man. I probably need to, but I, I don't. You, you're not gonna miss anything. You're not gonna find out anything with me tweeting. That is just that simple. So. Well, with that being said, that's Bill Ingram. <laughs> Thank you, Derek Harper. I'm Randy Zelia. We'll see you the next time on the Hardwood Huddle. Thank you. Blessings, guys.